have the privilege of leading you today in the Word, and uh, we are going to continue our Restored series. We started our, our Restored series in the Mark 1, verse 1, on January 1, practically, the first part of January, and so we've been kind of going through the book of Mark this uh, entire year, and we are on Mark 9, Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 30. We're going to read that today, and uh, also kind of put a, uh, put a finger in Matthew 18, 1 through 4. That's the parallel passage to this. So Mark 9, starting in verse 30, and then also be ready to jump to Matthew 18. All right, we'll pick up where we left off last week, and we're just going to dive right in. Verse 30, they went on from there and passed through Galilee and did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed after three days, he will rise. This is Jesus talking. It's in red letters. That's how we know. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. Jesus had been giving the disciples clues all along the way that he was the son of God, and he was foretelling his death and resurrection, but they were not getting it at all. They were confused, and not only were they confused, they were afraid to even ask him about it. Verse 33, and they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. Can you just imagine a bunch of disciples, a bunch of boys arguing in the back seat about who's the greatest, who's got the biggest muscles, who can you know, do whatever better? I mean, that's just so typical of a bunch of dudes. Verse 35, and he sat down and called the 12. So he calls a team meeting, like, gentlemen, get over here. And he said to them, if anyone could be first, he must be last and servant of all. He turns things upside down on them. And he took a child and put it in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. All right, now let's jump over to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verses 1 through 4. It says, at the time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse four is kind of the key verse for today. Whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is Jesus trying to get through to the disciples, get through to these guys about what being great really looked like. And it really had to do with being children, being children of God, the heart of a child, um, a child that is completely dependent upon its father. It's meek, it's lowly. And it was opposite of what the disciples were. Much like this little baby in, in the third row here that carries his hold, a little baby Noah, completely dependent upon its caregiver. And so today we're just gonna talk about, that's right. Today we're gonna talk about humility, arrogance, kind of an interesting topic. It's, it's, a, it's kind of a hard topic. Um, it's something that uh, we are completely unaware of most of the time of, about ourselves. So I want to ask you, are, are you humble? Are you humble? And of course, you're like, well, yeah, I'm, I'm humble. I'm, I'm the humblest guy I know. <laughs> I'm proud of it. And if I was to give you, like, to, to put on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the most prideful arrogant guy you've ever met and one, the, 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 the most humble, meek, lowly person you've ever met, you would give yourself a grade. You would put a number in there somewhere. But if I were to ask your spouse or the person sitting next to you, might be a little different, 
We're just terrible. We're terrible. We, we are terrible at gauging our own arrogance and our own pride. We're, we're just really not good at it. It's something that it's really hard for us to see. Others are aware of it, but we can't see it most of the time. And the, absent, or the idea of humility is completely absent in our culture. I mean, there's nothing about Western culture really that promotes humility or being meek or lowly. It's about being the greatest, having the greatest. Um, an interesting stat that I found this week is that there are, this is, and this is like an old number, this is like three years old, four years old, so the number's probably even higher now, but every day there are 93 million selfies uploaded to social media. Every day. We love taking pictures of ourselves and telling everybody about it. We just love doing that. We love taking pictures of all of our things and making sure people know about it. 93 million times a day globally, we're doing that. It's unbelievable. And of course, there's the humble brag, right? The self-deprecating statement whose actual purpose is to draw attention to something you're really proud of. You just had to tell us about that thing. Nobody else would have known about it had you not told us. You know, it's like helping the old lady, you know, carry her groceries and putting them into the car and taking a picture, hashtag humble brag. Like, you just have to tell people about this thing. That's not what he's talking about here. There's some sociologists that are beginning to call this generation, generation me, instead of generation Z. Levels of narcissism are rising across culture, overinflated ingos, and no self-awareness whatsoever. But Jesus turns it upside down. He, uh, he tells us what the kingdom should look like. And he, and he calls us his children. Children that are dependent upon him. To become little children. It's a word picture that evokes this simple, helpless, trusting dependence of a little child that has, they have no achievements yet. They've got nothing to show for it, nothing to offer. No accomplishments I love that baby Noah is sitting here right in front of me today. It's going to be, going to be easy to give a, a visual example because that's exactly how we should be. And unfortunately, there's, it's no secret that pride and arrogance has crept into the church as well, our church family, churches across the country, across the world. There's those that have changed the meaning of Scripture to fit their agenda. They promote their ideas over God's truths. They ignore the relevancy and the authority of the gospel. It's your truth versus my truth. We see that kind of creeping up everywhere right now. And if I may be so bold, that is a direct tie to our arrogance and our pride. And John warns us of this. Disciple John in 1 John, if you turn to 1 John chapter 2, he warns us of this. He gives us a warning to guard ourselves from pride. We're about to get kind of deep here. And if I screw this up, don't worry. Darren will be back here next week to clean it all up. So bear with me. Verse 15 of chapter two of 1 John. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. Again, it's this picture of a father and a child. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and pride of life is not from the father but is from the world, from Satan, quite frankly, the original sin, Satan, pride. And when the world is passing away along with his desires, whoever does the will of God abides forever. Verse 18, children, so he's addressing us as children as if we didn't need another reminder. Children, it is the last hour or the last days. And you have heard that Antichrist is coming. 
So now many antichrists have come. In the Greek, antichrist is antichristos. It just means um, like in place of, to replace Christ. We see a lot of those running around today. Therefore, we know that it is at the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. Verse 20, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is Christ? This is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. But let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. Hold strong to your faith. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I'm gonna read 26 and 27. I write these things to you. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you have received from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything that is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. There are three characteristics of false teachers, deceiving spirits or antichrists in this passage. In verse 19, it talks about those that depart from the faithful. They arise from within the church and depart from true fellowship and lead others with them. He warns us about those that deny the faith. They, divide, they deny sound doctrine and the true nature of Christ. Verse 26, it talks about those that deceive the faithful through half-truths, feel-good answers, or my truth. They're rewriting the truth. And this is all predicated, this is all instigated by what in verse 16? Pride. The pride of life. We are to guard against the pride of life and arrogance over our circumstances. By how? Abiding in him. The last part of chapter two, he says abide in him no less than nine or 10 times. That's how we guard against the pride of life, by abiding in the father, by being with the father. So we guard against the pride of life, but sometimes our weaknesses serve to humble us, actually. They remind us that we do need the father. 2 Corinthians 12. If you have 2 Corinthians 12, we're going to read 7 through 10. Verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. This is Paul talking, talking about his thorn, his reminder. A messenger of Satan to harass me, kind of like Job had back in the Old Testament to keep me from becoming conceited. Verse eight, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, I'm content with insults, I'm content with hardships, I'm content with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I can't do this on my own. You can't do this on your own. We all have our thorn. What is your thorn? What is the thorn that the Lord has given you to remind you of who you are in him? It could be physical. It could be health. It could be relationships. 
Whatever that weakness is, it's there to serve as a reminder that you need him. Constant reminder. And are you okay with that? But Christ gives us an example of his humility. He's never asked us to do anything that he hasn't. I love that about Jesus. In Philippians chapter two, this is Paul writing again. Philippians chapter two, one through 11. He gives us the example of humility, complete and total surrender. Verse one says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. So he's encouraging the believers, he's encouraging the church to be one in unity, and then he lets the hammer fall. Verse three, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Ouch. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's not about you. Verse five, having this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or understood, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Can you imagine this? Get this picture in your head. These aren't just words on a page. This is a story that he's telling that actually happened. The creator of the universe puts on an earth suit and comes to earth in the lowliest possible of ways, not as a prince or a king would be born, but in a manger, in a stable, a stanky old stable. The king of the universe, the ultimate humility, Verse eight, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross, as if just the point of death wasn't enough, even on a cross, it's not like he died of old age or died of crossing the road and being hit by a chariot flying by. Uh, Death, even on the cross, which was the most humiliating way to die, our creator did that. Jesus. Verse nine, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Listen, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, amen. The ultimate example of humility. We really don't have an excuse Back to our key verse, Matthew 18, three and four. He's talking about the little kids. Truly I say unto you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Children at a very young age are generally teachable. They, they don't desire positions of power. They're completely dependent upon their parents. They're not worried about how the electric bill is getting paid or how dinner is being made tonight. They're, they're not thinking about those things. They trust that their, their mother, their father, someone is providing that for them. Uh, they're just completely dependent upon their parents, 100%. As we get older and we become adults, we forget that that's how that should work with us and our father. We, figure, we think we can figure this whole thing out on our own. Darren talked a little bit about this last week. We feel like sometimes if we just pray harder, we pray hard enough or long enough, this thing will happen. And those prayers are just arrogant prayers. 
It's recognizing our dependence upon the Father. Matthew 6 talks about this. If I could give homework today, if I could give homework, can I give homework? I'm gonna give homework. I need somebody just to nod yes. Can I, give yes. I can give homework. Okay, thank you. Please read Matthew 6 this week when you get a chance. Matthew chapter 6 talks about this very thing, complete dependence upon the Father. It even talks about the, the Lord's prayer, breaks it down. His will be done, not ours. It's an incredible reminder of our place in the kingdom, especially as his children. As I walk this journey, um, it seems as if faith and humility are completely um, intertwined. I feel like that when my arrogance gets out of control, my faith is like way down here because I can figure it out. I can do it on my own. I've got it. I can fix it. I can manage it. But I've found times in life when the opposite is true, when I'm seeking the Lord and hopefully have a spirit of humility that my faith level rises because I've learned that my, my faith is in him and my weakness becomes strong in him. And it's this constant balance, this, this warring of flesh and spirit. And so I ask you to do an inventory check today. Where are you at? Is your faith strong and you remaining humble or is your arrogance taking over to the fact that you don't have much faith because you can do it all on your own? Take inventory today. I wanted to show this video. Sue, if you could run it. It's this, this is my buddy, Micah. Micah Heslip. He's my buddy for two reasons. One, he's one of my best friends, little boy. And two, because his name's Micah and I have a Micah. So that's pretty cool. But I love this picture. This took a lot of courage for Micah to get up there. He was not ready to do that. He did not want to do that. His daddy encouraged him. said, you can do this. I believe in you. You can do this. And over a course of about 20 minutes, Micah pulled up the courage to get up there. He trusted the process and he fell into safety as a little boy. And what I love about this is at the end of it, Jeremy had said that uh, he came up to him and said, Dad, if a five-year-old can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> he said that. And he should have probably been preaching today because that's the point. The faith of a child, to trust the process, to fall into safety, to find the strength through his father. He didn't want to do it. He was scared. Jeremy was telling me this whole story. But because of the urging and the strength that his father gave him that he would be okay, he went up there and did it. Quite frankly, I don't think I could do that. It would take a little while. I would eventually do it. Bold and courageous. Faith of a child. One last thing before we close. Um, 1 Peter 5.5 5 talks about putting on humility. Be clothed in humility is what it says. Be clothed with humility. And so I would encourage you this week to go into your closet of your heart, wherever it is, and go grab your humility jacket and put it on because we notice when you're not wearing it. Put on humility this week. We can do better. There's room for all of us to grow in our, our arrogance and our pride and making sure we're grounded in Christ, that our faith is what folks notice, that our humility is what folks notice. And how do we notice it? What is the fruit of the Spirit in that? Serving others, joy, love. 
those other verses that we read talks about, they will know because we are serving others. We put others in front of ourselves before ourselves. I'm thankful for a church that does a lot of that. You guys are so serving and so giving. This is a reminder and encouragement to stay on task. Make sure your pride's in check this week. Stand up. Let's pray. Be dismissed. Lord, we thank you for your word and how it just penetrates hearts. Lord, how um, your word is so powerful. And not only just your word, but your life. The example that you are, the example that you were. Ultimate humility. Lord, may we turn to scriptures, may we turn to you in prayer. We seek your face, Lord, so that our faith may be increased. You would help our unbelief by just trusting in you, not trying to fix things on our own, not trying to manage things on our own, but just as a child, just as a baby, Lord, that we would just fall into your arms and trust you. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these folks that are dedicated to be here today. I thank you for the time of worship that we had. Lord, I thank you for what you're gonna do this week in the lives of the people. Lord, I pray that you just give us humble hearts. Help us to see through your eyes this week. That's our challenge. Lord, we thank you for these things. In your name, the church said, amen.